Hey, Frank from the Everyday Sniper. We got a special podcast for you today. I have Paul Phillips here. He's a team applied ballistics. We're down at the King of Two Mile. He's also a former F-Class Rifle Team member. I'm going to let Paul tell you his background. Paul, thank you for coming in here and doing the Everyday Sniper podcast. This is awesome. Yeah, it's great to be here, Frank. I, you know, I followed you for a long time and uh, met you a few years ago and liked all the stuff that you do. And it's just a great community out there. And we, we've been getting together with the ELR stuff. You and I, our paths cross more uh, specifically with the ELR work that we did with the world record event at SHOT Show uh, here at the King of Two Mile. I'm doing more media versus shooting it, but you're actually participating and you transferred into the top 10 for tomorrow. So you get to qualify and go for the two mile target tomorrow, which is just an awesome deal considering the conditions this week. A lot of guys, uh, the, the conditions beat them up. And, and you managed to push through and, and get yourself into the top 10, which is a, a, a feat in itself when you consider the field you're shooting against. You know, we had 63 or 62 competitors, I think, this year, and we had two days of qualifying. Um, you know, the, the conditions of the wind in the morning was a little bit calmer. And so, and then in the after, and toward the late morning, it got to be breezy. Um, really, you know, it was a random draw. The uh, or, the King of Two Mile organization did a random draw, so it was just yeah, luck of the draw. And, and no, there's no. Uh, yeah. I want to kind of say right off the bat, you guys in the past have gotten a bit of a, a weird reputation that I think is completely unfounded. I'm an unaffiliated observer to this match, and anything I've ever seen written about your team for this event has been wrong, flat out bullshit. Right. And so the random draw, yeah, the timing, all that. Hey, man, it, it well, is got, what I it got, is. I got drawn 55. Right. So I was the last shooter on my team. Mm-hmm. And toward the end of the day, on the second day, and, uh, you know, it's... It mother, is what it it's is. Mo- it's mother nature. Yes. You know, I, I shot a lot of F-Class with the U.S. Rifle Team all over the world, and, and you know, you realize that you come up, you could get a win condition, and you put down a good score. And that's a lot like this ELR stuff. Normally, though, in the mornings, if you get draw a morning slot, it is a little calmer. Right. We know that. Um, but then guys were having calm conditions and having elevation problems. Yep. So it's what's interesting about ELR. We're shooting such long distances that both windage and elevation are, are the big factors. It Totally. I mean, and we saw it again today, which you and I talked about a lot last year, especially because you did the uh, TV show for King of Two Mile. Right is the guys who did the opposite call because the round goes under the plate and kicks everything up the top yes. or goes over the plate and kicks everything below. I saw that again today. Absolutely. We got ricochets where they see the ricochet mm-hmm. and they think it's off somewhere else. Yeah. Um, it's very deceiving. Um, sometimes the bullet will go over top of the plate and then you'll see the, the puff of smoke under the plate and they think they hit underneath. Yes. Um, some of the things that we, you know, whenever I come and shoot a competition, I always learn stuff. One of the things that we, you know, readdressed with wind, uh, this, uh, go around was we found ourselves overcorrecting. We'd see an impact, maybe whether it be high or to the left and we do a full correction to center the plate and we hit the other side. Right. And we thought, you know, maybe that was just a high shot in my group. And then, and then the next one could have been a low shot or overcorrection, or maybe it was a left, maybe it was a shot that was a left side of my group. So, what we've thought about doing from here forward was maybe doing half to three quarter corrections. Right, not committing to the full 
and and just and, and that's experience. That's you know, we have a a math formula. We have an idea of what we're going to do with the wind, but then you see the reality may not match up to that. So now this is where your experience comes in to say on the fly, don't do that. If I see it miss by a mill, if I see it miss by four m away, well, let's only do three quarters of that. Sure. And use the plate to our advantage. Sure. Um, you see a lot of people that would correct and hear their corrections, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden they're on the other side. Yeah. Um, another thing that we, you know, readdressed was our ability to communicate quickly and put shots on target and manage those skills efficiently to take the time away from waiting so that the wind doesn't affect your To bullets. change it. So, you know, there was a few guys that were just hammering. And a lot of those individuals in the top five that shot with a fast tempo. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that's what you always need to do, but when you get a consistent wind, take advantage of take it. Take advantage of it. And those people did very well in the standings. And and Tom Manners, who's in the, the top ten, he was running out of time. So he increased his tempo not as a factor of that on purpose, but sure. in the factor that he was actually running out of time. And it turned out he was getting those hits shooting faster. Right. Well, so it's kind of like doing a magazine reload with a pistol, right? You go fast, you pause, you go fast. Yeah. Same thing with shooting an ELR. You have different plates. I would encourage people once they start shooting to to shoot fast and and you know take the wind variable out, and then take your time in transitioning to the target, making sure you have all your dope, mm-hmm. making sure your levels level, your bipod's not falling off your mat, making sure your rear bag is aligned in your position, make sure you're communicating with your um, other teammates to make sure yeah. everything's good to go. And then once you start again and you're on steel, go. Right. And you said you kind of got a little auditory exclusion. You got a I little did. tunnel vision. You went into the zone and it paid off for you. I did. I went into the zone and, you know, it was kind of, um, geez, it's been a long time since I went that far in the zone before. I don't remember... Um, could be some nutrition things going on, which is very important to, you know, stay hydrated and nutrition. But I kind of bugged out a little bit. Um, I was asking Amo, my wind coach, mm-hmm. what'd you say? I just, I couldn't hear him. I didn't even hear the ring, the, the bell ring. The bell ringing, and it rings loud. So that was kind of interesting. So I'm going to have to maybe look at some nutrition, hydration stuff going on. There's a lot and, of... And, and so people know that, that where Team Applied Ballistics excels is in the team dynamic. You guys work so efficiently as a team you you communicate well you got a class people behind you helping right. but you you definitely have and you learn from your mistakes that's where a lot of other people did you know they, they, there might be four people shooting together but from the first shooter to the second shooter they're not learning from the first guy's mistakes but you guys do really well at debriefing and diagnosing the guy before you use mistakes and correcting them in the next person. Yeah, you know, we always have a debrief and we talk about what we learned, what we could do better. Um, when we practice, we try different things. Um, and then once we come up with a plan, we go forward. But, you know, sometimes we do audibles too. And we find something that works better, we, you know, we can do an audible. But you're right, Frank, you know, practicing out. And, you know, another thing too, I... I heard this from like four or five guys today on the line. They, they said that when they when they go out and practice, they just shoot groups. And then when they did the, the event, mm-hmm. 15 shots in nine minutes, they didn't have their time management down. Right. So when you practice, you should practice like you're shooting a real match. 
I'm saying I'm sure it's the same with PRS. Yeah, I mean now all the you'll see guys do load development. They'll just shoot a group on steel. They'll shoot 300, 400, 600 yards. They'll get a tiny little group on there, but then that's it. Where there's other guys that have practice regiments, you know, the 40 round practice uh, kind of deal, where they actually shoot stages. They're actually shooting under time. Where you win in PRS is getting into position and out of position. Sure. The rifles do so much for them. It's getting in and out of that stage where with you guys, it's with the distance, it's all on that wind call. And then, like you said, with the elevation, I talked to Brian right when I came in this morning and he was talking um, with me about your mats and the pea gravel and the different recoil property, mm -hmm. which created that vertical that some of you saw. Absolutely. And, and so then you start to look at how you manage that bipod and mat for the lava rock sure. and the pea gravel that Raton puts down. Right. You know, on the U.S. rifle team, we did, we, uh, traveling around different ranges and different surfaces, we saw some big changes on how we set up our rifles. So we started making notes of that and looking for trends, and it's a big deal. So I would recommend if someone's in a shooting competition, somehow, some way, emulate that firing line so that they can have the same type of, you know, composition. That, that, yeah. That, whether it be gravel, whether it be grass, whether it be dirt, because your rifle does act differently. On those type of Th that recoil pulse is different, yeah. and how that changes where that harmonics the bullets, the whole thing falls, and there we're seeing it. You'll see a weird recoil from me standing back and filming everybody. I can see when one a shot looks off, or when somebody kind of does something a little weird, and it might be where they they came off the mat a little bit, and they're not squared on their bipod moved around, uh, you know. All that stuff, I think, has an accumulative. Yeah, that, that's huge. You know, when we go over all the basics of, you know, your partner's duties of spotting and wind calling, well, another duty is to watch your buddy, your shooter. You know, you can take a peek over there. Is his bipod slipping off his mat? Is, it, is he canting? His bubble level yeah. is, is canting. Maybe his rear bag, if you have one of those Edgewood bags with the, with the you know, it goes back and forth mm -hmm. with the ears, maybe it's turned sideways. Yeah. And he doesn't even realize it. So there's so many things that, you know, you can peek down and help your buddy out. You know, there's just so many things going on for shooting these extreme long-range distances that could affect a miss or impact. Yeah, totally. And, and the cutting edge is working really well for you guys. Talk about some of the equipment you're using. Yeah, so I got, you know, um, the McMillan ELR Beast. Um, I'm currently using a BAT 50 cal action and the Bartline barrel. Um, Terminator T5 brake. Uh, I got a Bixen Andy trigger, a Night Force ATEC R7 35 scope. Um, anyways, so that's pretty much my rifle. And then you're round, yeah, because the round. Yeah, a big so then deal. I'm using a 416. We, me and Derek Rogers uh, decided to switch to 416 because last year when I was spotting for Derek when he was shooting two miles, you know, I had a hard time seeing that bullet um, impact. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's not so. Critical going out to 2,000. But when you go from 2,500 to 3,500, it really stretches the optics. Yep. Um, especially, you know, involving Mirage or what have you. It's just hard to see. So we felt it was necessary to go to the 416, a little larger projectile, um, a little bit better ballistics with wind um, and elevation, but most importantly, the impacts. Yeah. You have to see the impact. You could have a eighth-minute rifle, but if you can't see the impact... 
it, it doesn't do you any good. Right. You don't know what's going on. And we were talking about the yucca plant and the, and the crevasse mm -hmm. underneath. Did it go up into the yucca plant? Did it go down into the crevasse? Did people lose it? What do they do when they don't know whether it went high or low? Because sure. at that last final drop into the target, guys miss it. Sure, you know, and that's another thing too. The 416 bullet has a much bigger trace. It's like a bus going down range. Um, you know, you can see them flying through the air easy peasy. And then you can kind of get an idea. If you do lose it in the yucca bush, at least you had an idea where it was going in as far as your windage. Right. So that will help you kind of, you know, make a decision on your next uh, next call. Mm -hmm. And I, it, I don't know if it's Raton. I mean, Raton has so many quirks in itself. The thermals with some of the verticals. I, I was wondering, because I was talking to David Tubb about it with the wind and coming over the top of that cliff. I almost was wondering if the fires just over the border in Colorado were creating kind of a weird wind pattern that's off of the standard. And because we're seeing some weird verticals this year that the guys didn't see. I mean, you have, you, you, you guys probably know, but you know, they're SDs of twos and threes here. And there's still this vertical that we did not see last year. You know, it's hard to say, Frank. Right. Yeah, it's impossible. I, you know, there's so many things. It could be shooter position, changing of your gear. Like I mentioned, the bag, your shoulder pressure, your hand pressure on your uh, stock, and cheek pressure. And there's so many things that could affect that. I'll give you one example. Derek Rogers set the F-Class 1,000-yard national record with a 214X in return. When he told me the story when he did it, he had a group that was ridiculous. You know, we would shoot a five-inch circle at 1,000 yards. That's our X-ring. He was just pounding the X-ring, a five-inch circle at a thousand yard, going along. The conditions, the, the the mirage, the wind flags, everything was the same. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, he had a two elevation shots up in the up in the ten ring, up almost in the nine. They almost, mm -hmm. but just, they were they came out of nowhere, and he didn't see anything different in the environment to t say that. So I think there is stuff going on that we can't see. Yep. Um, there's also been matches where a national championship where I've been watching. And you'd have like 30 people put a nine out the top, and nobody caught it. So there, whether it be light, whether it be a thermal upwind, I, I'm not sure, you know, that's what makes this so challenging sometimes. It, it, that's why we take it, it. Like I said, it's almost like a drug because guys will get so close and they just want that one more. Let but me shoot that like one for, So for ELR, with one guy shooting, he may think, oh, well, it might have been a flyer or you know, right. he doesn't know, but it, like in a match where you have 30 people go out the top, it's an environmental thing. Yes. And no, and they, I bet you, if you went to ask them, they individually would say, oh, it's probably me. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't count on it being Because they don't realize that 30 people had it happen to them. Exactly. And so we always turn inward and say, what did I do wrong? Exactly. So, yeah. So I see that a lot with elevation shots, you know, it's... Well, you, you know, got a couple gold medals to back it up, so I think what you've seen kind of makes it is a, is a good observation yeah, for people to look at. Sure, I think that you know the only thing we can do to prepare, whether it be hunting, competitive shooting, military, law enforcement, sniping, whatever the case may be, is just do your homework, do good load development, try to develop loads within the environment that you're going to be competing or hunting in, mm -hmm. and then get your zeros and dope and 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 have fun. Yeah. You know, I was talking to uh, a guy today <laughs> about a story about how I did my low development. I'm from Michigan, and, and I didn't do 15-round sh uh, groups to do low development with my 416 because it's so expensive. Yeah. I was doing three and five shots. 
um, three and five shot groups just because that thing's going to go up quick with a barrel. The problem with that is, is that you don't test it for 15 shots for the barrel heating up and maybe getting out of it into another node. Yeah. You mentioned that today you about know, switching and, and, nodes. Yeah. And so not only that, but the temperature in Michigan's like, you know, 60, 70 degrees. I come to here and it's 80, 90. The pressure and the velocity, I spiked 30 feet per second from Michigan to here. Yep. So that changes my ballistics. That changes my pressure. Now, it shot good, obviously. I did really yeah. well today, and I'm looking forward to tomorrow. But really, you should go to the area that you need to compete or work in and do your testing in that environment. Because then you're going to safeguard yourself with maybe getting into another Yeah, show up a couple days early and do your work. A couple days early, do your homework, yeah. Yeah. I mean, because this is such... It, it's beyond prestige here. You guys are doing research and development that's extending our range beyond what was previously considered doable. And so there's a lot of, there's a magnifying glass on not only everything you do because you're an AB guy, but just the whole group, the entire King of Two Miles is under a magnifying glass from a research and development standpoint. And so I I do think your your observations make a big, big difference that you should be working this in the environment. There's certain things that you see that work and don't work and kind of can catch up to you and bite in the butt, but... Um, you know, let's see, the other thing is, um, you know, a lot of guys that get drawn with just a bad condition. Mm-hmm. Um, Derek Rogers won last year, and his rifle is absolutely ridiculous, accurate. He shot in testing, low development, he shot a two-inch group at a 1,000 yards, four shots in two inches. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's pretty incredible. Yeah. When he got to shoot, yes, the first day, um, he shot the first six plates in a row, and then we got to the next plate, and we had a we had a tailwind, uh, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 mile an hour tailwind, and it was just going back and forth. Which is, that's my word, I hate a head or tailwind because of that. And, it's never straight. And we were just, just barely missing him off the left and right edge of the plate, and it was so frustrating. And he got beat out, he came in 11th. So he was on the bubble and got knocked off. And yep. I just feel so sorry for him because he's got such a great rifle, but he got bit by the condition. And there's nothing we can do about it. No. And, and what you said with going to a three-quarter hole might be the, the fix. Just to say, hey, don't overcorrect. Well, that's what, yeah, going back to that, that's where we said, wow, you know, maybe we should just went three-quarter. But, hey, you know what? You only have three shots on a plate. Yeah. Missed all three and you're done, right? So that's not very many. Not only that, but if you miss one of them in a spot, then you have two shots. So it's really critical, you know, the wind and the spotting is obviously a huge part of this. You know. Wind-wise, do you guys look at a bracket? Do you look at a, just a, a strict miles per hour? What is your kind of like baseline for looking at the wind when you step up to a line? Well, you know, on our team, we got Amo Praslik, you know. Yeah, which is rock star. He's like, you know, wind guy. But, you know, he does his own internal thing. Sometimes I don't even know what he's doing. You know, he's doing so much math over there. Um, me, you know, I just had a condition based upon what I've done before and kind of memorize what it looks like. Mm-hmm. It's done well for me, you know. Um, but we share information. You know, Derek Rogers is also a very accomplished shooter, and he, he's got his own way. But everybody has their own little internal things that they do. Um, but, you know, one thing different about a F-class match or, um, you know, competition like that where it's timed is you have block times where you have a lot more time to wait yeah. for a lull. 
Um, with ELR, you do not have the time. You have to go. You have 30 seconds per shot, 14 shots in 9 minutes, along with transitions where you're moving your equipment around, communication and loading. So it's it's difficult. And I was watching him when he was before you shot, actually. He was off to the side <coughs> watching the other guy shoot and taking notes on the wind conditions. He, he was down the line True. about you know 10, 10 uh, segments down. He was watching those <coughs> conditions and those shots, and he was kind of like keying in, and he had a pad and paper there, sure. and he was plotting other sure. people's stuff to practice for a- when you came absolutely. up. Absolutely. I do the same thing. I'll, I'll get my optics, and I'll spot and try to pick up that trace and... Look at the trace lines and, you know, your your max ordinance where how high the bullet goes above mm-hmm. for each plate. I'll write it down where to look yeah. to pick up that trace for the bullet. There you go. He does the same thing for the wind. You know, he's looking at trends. He's looking at consistencies. It's the same thing we do for, you know, shooting matches where you may watch a couple of relays before you get up there. Mm-hmm. You're looking for the wind uh, consistencies and what the values are. Yeah, the trends. Where's the, the trend pattern go? Because we don't have any wind flags out there. Right. We're looking at veg and mirage. So... You need to look at look at those things and what were the indicators? Maybe maybe you pick something up downrange that when a certain bush or tree starts to waggle, that's a lot more that moves the bullet another three foot left. Okay. You know maybe little indicators like that that you can pick out that will help you out. No, that's good stuff. That that people don't get that the amount of focus in detail to every shot you guys put in, and which separates why you guys are who you are. And, and this is the, 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 the amount of focus and detail that they're looking at. This is that they're not off socializing in between relays about, you know, the, the beer they drank last night. They're watching the other guys. They're watching the results. And not so much you're not watching the other shooter. You're watching their results. Sure. And, yeah. You know, you're, you're taking all your elements because it's all information that will help you. Yep. You know, I mean, there's just so much stuff to observe and watch and learn. And every time we shoot, we're learning something, you know. Um, we actually changed up our plan of attack um, when Derek shot just because, you know, the wind was so difficult with that tailwind. He, you know, yeah. he's, he's like a machine gun. Right. You know? And we had right. to shoot fast. There's Sometimes there's just no way to read it. You just have to spray and pray. Well, especially that far. What, what's your time of flight at, on like 2,000 yards? You're in three, four second range, right? Yeah, somewhere around there. In... in you, you let one go, and now the, the change comes in, especially when it's in the 12-mile-an-hour right. zone. As soon as you touch that off, now you have a change that's possibly going to creep up in the middle of that sure. shot. And we'll do, you know, Amo will do an audible if he sees a mirage pickup or maybe a little branch twitch. You know, he'll have a whole, you know, hold the right side of the plate or one mil off or whatever, you know. So those are things you can do to little audibles. Yeah. And when you're loading and, you know, preparing to, to press the trigger... You know, you, he hears him, hey, Derek, you know, one, hold the right edge, hold the right edge, and, you know, he lets it go. It's pretty dynamic, you know. Mm-hmm. I, if anybody wants to really get a handle on ELR, if they're interested, you know, all the whole TV series is still on YouTube. You can watch all episodes. If you pay attention, there's a lot to be learned. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, you can hear all the verbals. Um, you can see a lot of mistakes being made. Um, not to pick on anybody, but we all make mistakes, and we yeah. you know try to learn from. Well, them. I said the Tom Manners because last year they were they were all thumbs, and they were communic. They had a guy with a, a MOA scope. There was a spotter giving them mill corrections. Guys putting stuff on, and they mm. really weren't 
a cohesive team like you guys are. Sure. Well, this year, Tom's got two guys in the top 10, him and uh, Robert Brantley, and they functioned so much better this year versus last year. Tom fixed his rifle, his position. Mm. He's in a much better position now. Sure. And, I mean, even Robert's using Tom's old barrel on a different rifle. He's using a Bushnell scope, an XRS, which is 1500 bucks, and, and he's number one right now. Yeah. And, you know, he's a PRS guy. But Robert, him, Robert Brantley? Yes, he's a PRS yeah, shooter. I watched Robert shoot, and he tore it up. Yes. I was really happy for him. You know, he... It's pretty awesome to shoot like he did today, you know, just ripping those plates up at every distance. Um, you know, he made 2,000... What was our father's target? 2029? Uh, 2029 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, or something? Yeah. 2090, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, right? 20, Almost 2100. So 2,100 yards, you know. And I, I, I did too, you know. I had Yeah, you had it because you were beating the clock at the yeah, end so and we you did well. Yeah, so we both did very well, but it's fun to get out there and hammer those plates you know, first round shot at all those plates and then follow up. So, you know, but if I mean, you look at the year, if you look at years past, you know, the, the statistics, we've came a long way. Yes. Frank. Yes. I mean, people are making 2000 look like nothing now. It's, it, it's, it's that this push for the, the 3000 has made, you know, not only 2000, but 2500, mm. a much better shot. I mean, Speedy built that rifle. What he did—a five-inch group at a mile with that rifle. That's crazy, right? It's yeah. insane how good people are getting because now they're understanding what they need to do. Sure. And it, like you know, with Robert's rifle, it's it's like John Armstrong at the shot show. Absolutely. Uh, Robert's got a, a, a used barrel that was set back two inches. He's using that Bushnell scope in in an older stock. He just put the gun together two weeks or whatever before coming out here. But the kid shoots a PRS match every weekend. And they communicated well. He was on, and when he was on, he didn't take up the time. He, he got the hits. Right. And, and that's that PRS mentality. It hit, keep going fast. I like it. Yeah. I mean, that's my motto. Even in the F class, if, if the wind's consistent and you're shooting X's or you're hitting plates, keep it going. Yeah. And, you know, I think there's a, another dynamic too, Frank. Your position when you shoot faster seems to be more consistent. Okay. I could see that. Because really, you're not thinking as much and overthinking it. I really believe that. You know, I've seen it in a lot of the U.S. team shooters, man. The guys that shoot fast, they're consistent. The guys that take their time, they move around more, they don't realize it. They're fidgets, yep. Maybe they start overthinking things mm -hmm. and doing things they wouldn't normally do. Um, there, I think there's a lot to that. To the speed aspect. That's, that's you know, and that's that's gold right there. You I'm can't buy that. I'm not saying so fast you have an AD. Right. No, I'm no. Just, I'm just saying it's it's efficient. Yes, I agree, and and with that played out this weekend very well, or week, you know, that played out here. We did see that, and 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 like I said, with Tom, the funny thing was, Tom shot fast because he was running out of time, and it paid off for him. Yeah, Robert shot fast because he's a PRS guy. He stopped in the middle of his string and and had water. <laughs> you know what I mean? I didn't see that. Yeah, yeah, he did. He stopped in the middle of his string and drank water. Well, in, in a transition to another plate, he stopped. Sure. But once he shot, he shot fast. Well, that's that pause thing. You, mm -hmm. know, you pause, you take your time, make sure your dope's correct. Um, and then once you're getting ready to go, then you go. Yeah. You know who is excellent that I know you guys work with a little bit um, as far as communication was John from JJ Rock. Sure. He, he They did such a good job talking and reminding his shooter, get lined up, get your dope, get on this target, watch your fundamentals, make sure you're right. And, and he audibly translated that 
where you know you guys will do it when you see something more but john was was a robot that way in his communication which paid off you know he they, there was some good solid hits well, you there. know john's a trainer yep sniper trainer so he does this a lot and you know anytime someone practices a lot and gets a routine down it'll pay benefits no definitely that's the it, it's it's great um, we'll, we'll kind of start wrapping up here for you, but uh, go ahead, tell everybody what you got going on because you have some other things. You're not just an sure. AB guy. You're, you're yeah. So, um, I have a company called Global Precision Group, and um, what we do is we do a lot of consulting. Um, I'm going to be to be retiring here in three years. Okay. And I I want a you know retirement gig. You know, maybe maybe make a few bucks on the side doing the things that I love to do, being around the people that I love to be around, and I'd like to sh- you know concentrate in long range shooting, extreme long range shooting. Um, I'm actually putting an event for the NRA, the NRA ELR National Championships in uh, Camp Atterbury, Indiana, next week. Nice. Um, we're going to be doing a world record event. Also, we're going to follow up with the NRA ELR match. We you guys don't realize that e- uh, the NRA is actually embracing ELR. They are. They want to be involved. They they realize that it, it's a you know, sport that's taking off. Um, also, I'm planning a. We're doing a seminar in Texas in December. The AB seminar. We're going to have a seminar. We're going to have an ELR match, and we're going to have a world record event, and possibly maybe. Doing some inviting some uh, manufacturers to come in to show their products to do like a rotisserie where people can go around and mm-hmm. see everything. Um, so that should be interesting. We, I, I haven't all the details on that yet, but we're putting that together. That's a good time finally because usually <laughs> Brian all his all his seminars yeah. always conflict with what I'm doing. December will right. be a good time of year for yeah. me. Yeah. So maybe I get down there finally. So that's a good thing. You know, I think uh, the big message here is you know. We are trying to just, you know, stimulate, educate, make people aware, have some fun. For, the, for those people that want to get involved in EOR and learn about, you know, all the things, all the types of devices that we have um, and understand how to use them. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest things that I see is people aren't inputting all the environmentals into their devices properly. Okay. And if you don't do that, you can have a huge misrepresentation of what it can do for you. Uh, I just saw on Facebook, one of the guys who listens on here, um, he just shot a match in his first day. Everything was off. He had his muzzle velocity temp off and, and he had his environmentals and he was hitting a low. Didn't account for the change in the weather and the whole thing. And, and his Kestrel wasn't updating the weather the way he didn't capture. He didn't crush it. Right. And you guys all run Garmin's, right? Most of you are using off of the Garmin. I got a Kestrel I oh. run, and we cross-reference with Garmin's. Yep. And also analytics. Okay. And well, it's all got anal- uh, AV in it, but absolutely. you're all but yeah, we, we you're just all, different and, device. And the biggest thing, though, is, I mean, five minutes before I went up to shoot, me and Amal got together, and we ran the we ran the temp, and we made sure it was all up to snuff. And you, you crushed it. There we you go. crushed it, yeah. And, and so, again, it's you got you just have to stay up to speed on that. And I think there's a... I think there's a misconception there with some people. They don't realize, you know, it's not, you don't just set it once and you have to always monitor that and update all your environmentals. Now, out to 1,000 yards or 1,500, you probably get away with it. If you got bigger PRS targets right. or whatever, it doesn't matter. But if you're shooting two miles, on well, a minute you, plate almost, you better have your stuff together. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, it turns into a, a minute. Yeah, it's a minute plate. <clears throat> so, so, and not only that, but if you're close, at least your spotter can see it to make an adjustment. Mm-hmm. And 
So that's kind of the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. No, this is great stuff, man. I really appreciate you coming in and taking the time to sit. I mean, I know you got commitments here and, and you got a, a thing, but for you to come and sit down with me like this, I think the people are going to get a ton out of it. And I really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you, Frank. You know, I, I realize that a lot of people don't realize all the work that you do to put this out to the public, you know, and that's why I came to you because I realize how important it is to have your, you know, have you as an asset. And I think that, you know, it helps put the word out yeah. what's going on and what we're trying to do. We're just a bunch of guys that love to shoot long range. That's all it is. It's it, man. We have a good time. I mean, there's no, even the, the, the world record event we had, it went flawless. Everything was golden. No drama, no egos. Everybody had a good old time. And we're all together in learning. Like you said, it's a, such a learning experience that you go out there and, and you're pushing these envelopes and you're seeing what happens on the fringes. You know, we know what happens inside the thousand yards. When we start going out to these fringes now, all bets are off. Like you said, everything's got to, everything's a factor. There, there's nothing that you can leave out. And, and, you know, you have to control it as much as you can because the wind, you can't. You know, the thermals, this, that, anything Mother Nature throws at you is outside of your, you know, we can't hold our hands up and push the wind back. Sure. So, you know, we got to learn to work within it. And and I appreciate everything you guys do. I, you know, you you reaching out and it, it just, like I said, you're, you've grabbed the ELR by the horns and you've really become the point man for this uh, between the SHOT Show stuff, um, this now with the NRA and even with as far as the voice of Team AB, you've been really big with the ELR part of it. Yeah, it's been fun. You know, I, it's something I'm very passionate about, and I really enjoy it. And I look forward to the future when we can retire and do more events. Yeah, I'd like to, I'd love to come do some PRS with you guys. Um, that's another thing I'd like to do when I retire. But you know, working a regular job and having a family, I have you know I have to pick my yeah you battles. You have to fight yeah. the battle, right? Yeah, you, you don't you want to aggravate that. But I'm going to let you go. Thank you. I appreciate it. This has been awesome.